Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the world of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the world of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Adam Kalibjian. Adam is a composer and music editor based out of Los Angeles and has worked on countless game projects such as The Last of Us 2, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Spider-Man Miles Morales, and much more. In this episode, we talk about what a music editor does, how to break into that field, and how there are countless different ways to get to the career of your dreams in music or sound. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Adam Kalibjian. I want to hear about your initial foray into game audio, because we know each other from the Berkeley days. That's kind of how we we got connected. But we really only officially actually really met during a GDC mentorship one year. where you got, you got a mentorship and happened to line up with me, even though we kind of knew each other at that point. So I want to know what kind of led up to that. Okay, yes. Well, I forget the exact details. I mean, I remember it was the IGDA scholarship thing at, at GDC, and I don't remember if they initially said, like, hey, there's this guy, Akash, that like we can pair you with. I think it was that, and then I was like, oh, yeah, I know Akash, but we'll just do it anyway, and we'll just hang out or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember what, we were at lunch or whatever, and like they're like mentorees kind of like doing the whole like ice-breaking thing, and I think here we were like, Kind of just like goofing around, just being like, duh, duh, we need like new game audio, you know, <laughs> lunch. Like, um, <laughs> so my foray into game audio, it's kind of interesting. Like, as you're well aware of, and for maybe your listeners that don't know, like Berkeley, like has a video game music club that was kind of like the thing that if you wanted to do in video games or you were interested in game audio, you were part of this club and it was very good exposure into game like doing just what that world was like of game audio i was a part of that club but like i graduated college like i was trying to follow that same track of everybody else is like oh i want to be like a big time composer i think i was making the joke that like i want to be like the next brian tyler like i want to be the like you know the just like the sexy hollywood scoring beast that's going around in the fancy cars scoring the big films like you know having drinks with chris evans like doing all the big shit <laughs> and so like I, I moved to LA and I wanted to pursue that like film scoring career before I left Berkeley though there was a like field trip that late semester students can do where they take students to San Francisco and do this like week-long yeah field trip to like a bunch of tech companies and it was like very much like not music focused it was like very much like more like entrepreneurial focused and a lot of that was inspired by Thinking about a lot of stuff is like things that we've talked about before and that you've talked about on your own before, just about like trying to present yourself as like a brand or like think about it as like a business mindset too. And like have an entrepreneurial mindset about like how you sell yourself and how your services can basically extend to just beyond say like writing music or something simple like that. 
And so that whole point of that trip was like getting more experience into like, what are all these different fields within tech and entertainment that exist that aren't just like film or TV, whatever, that are related to music and that someone with artistic skills or creative skills could slot themselves into or find a fit into one of those kind of areas. And so one of the places that they took us to was the PlayStation like headquarters in San Mateo. And it was like there where I met like a bunch of people, you know, a lot of them as well, like that were like really awesome. And, and kind of like, that was like my like eye opening experience to be like, I want to do this. Like I saw basically the goal like of like what I wanted to get to. And so I was like, I need to figure out, like when I graduate college, like what can I do that gets me to that? Because I just like got a little taste of like what I wanted to get to. And so when I graduated, I moved out to Los Angeles in like 2018. Yeah, like fall of 2018. And I didn't move out here with a job or a plan or anything. Like I think there's a perception that people feel like they need to move somewhere with a plan. My opinion of Los Angeles is that it's one of those cities that just like, you, you could move here with a plan or you could move here without a plan. And like, it, it could be the same situation. Like my take on it is if someone is waiting to move because they're waiting for an opportunity, I would say just make the change and then like figure it out because I, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it helped my mindset to just like get out of like I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. And like, there was nothing fucking going on in Cleveland, Ohio. So I was like, yeah, there's like, <laughs> I had to get the hell out of Cleveland. So I was like, I need to leave anyway. So I was like Los Angeles, it's going to be Los Angeles. Uh, that's where all my friends were moving to. That's where I felt like I needed to move to. So, cause I still at the time thought I was going to pursue the, the composer's assistant thing at first. That was like what I thought was going to be my, my like breaking into this industry thing. But when I moved out here, didn't have a job for like three months. I was bumming off people's couches, trying to find apartments. Housing in LA sucks. So like that was my top priority was finding housing. And, you know, they always say like, oh, find housing that's close to your job. Well, but like, what if you don't have a job? And it's like, well, just, I guess find somewhere cheap. So it's like, I was like, moved to the Van Nuys, lived in the Valley for like two years, you know, somewhere cheap that a lot of Berkeley people moved to when they moved to LA in the Valley. And when I uh, moved out here, yeah, very happenstance, just like saw one of the people that I had met before at Sony, like, kind of like hit me up, like on the side about like, hey, like saw your post about that you moved to LA and like they might be looking for somebody for like short-term music editing position or something and I was like I was like what the heck is music editing like I kind of knew what music editing was but like my my knowledge of music editing was just like what I had learned at Berkeley which was just like you working for with a composer and you're basically like handling the stems or like you know conforming picture or whatever handling deliveries or being in the dub and, you know, kind of helping make like decisions for the, on behalf of the composer. I was like, that doesn't really seem like something that I have a lot of experience in, but I was like, I was like, kind of like, fuck it. I mean, <laughs> I'm looking for work and I ended up interviewing. Turned out that it was like, yeah, it was this like music editing gig for PlayStation and they did not want to hire me because rightfully so I had no experience and they they were very nice about it. They were like, you know, thanks for coming in to chat and like, you see you like passionate or whatever, you know, we'll just need someone more experienced, blah, blah, blah. And I think a lot of people stop at that point, right? Where they're like, oh, okay, like, okay, move on to the next thing. But I was like, really like had seen that this was my dream and this was like my goal. 
was to do this thing from doing that Berkeley trip. And so I was like, I got to find a way to like push this, like to just like show that I'm passionate about this kind of thing. And so like two weeks later, it just very luckily happened to be that they were posting like a PlayStation music internship that they do every year. And I emailed the guy and was just like, Hey, me again. <laughs> like, I know you just saw me and like told me to like fuck off kind of, but like I saw that there's an internship posting and I'm just really interested in applying for it. And I'm really passionate about the work that y'all do. And then he called me and was just like, the conversation was very short. It was just kind of like, Hey, you seem like you want a shot at this. And I was like, yes. And he was like, okay, what if we start X date? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and it was supposed to be like a, yeah, a short-term contract thing for at, at the time uh, they were doing these, this uh, digital version of the God of War comic book. Like, like <laughs> they had put out like four issues or five issues, Dark Horse Comics put out a God of War and they digitized it into like a, uh, like a PlayStation app format. And they needed music. They needed like it, the thing scored like basically like linearly with uh, the God of War music. And so it was only supposed to be like six weeks. Like some short it was like supposed to be a short contract. But then like when I started there, like then, you know, like things started like piling on and they were like, oh, by the way, like you live in Los Angeles and like we're working on like Call of Duty and you live in Van Nuys, right? And that's like 20 minutes from Woodland Hills where Infinity Ward is. Like, you want to do that? And I was like, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> and so... Yeah, I mean, that, that ended up turning into, yeah, like, I think I was there for two and a half years. And then, you know, I've been at Bungie now for like almost a year, played Destiny as a kid too. So like, this is also like a very kind of passionate, pinch me kind of like, holy shit thing. Like in college, like I played way too much Destiny. And so it's kind of uh, cool <laughs> getting to make that dream a reality too. It's like, like shit, man. Like, I don't really fucking know how I got here. <laughs> I like, like, look, I mean, I think luck is bullshit. I don't think things just happen. I think people have to put themselves in positions and maybe sometimes uncomfortable positions in order for like something to happen. Like the uncomfortable position for me was like moving to Los Angeles without a job or like stability in housing or anything. Like I had some friends out here, but like I had nowhere to live. I had nowhere to really be and I come from a small, like, Midwestern town. Like, moving to Boston was, like, terrifying coming from, like, a suburb. And then, like, moving from Boston to LA was also terrifying because they're very different cities. So, like, I don't believe in the whole, like, you just gotta kind of get lucky thing. But I think you kind of can, like, put yourself in a position that, like, you're more likely to get lucky. You don't have control over the opportunities that are there. But, like, you have control over what you can do to better have those opportunities present themselves to you, I think. And so for me, that was just moving and trying to stay connected to people. And I think the thing that set me apart from a lot of people that if I had played my cards differently, I don't think I would have gotten that opportunity or that gig, which was to just in a way that you can find a way to show your passion or your motivation without seeming like you are like overbearing or like pushing something on somebody or like I don't think I showed a reel or anything because for this kind of thing it was very much kind of like are you going to be a cool person to work with do you have the mentality even to just be gung-ho enough about like getting a job like this that like 
you kind of just get a vibe from that. That's like, oh, if I hire this person, they're going to be the kind of like person that like, I don't need to tell what to do all the time or like handhold, you know, they'll be a bit of a go-getter or sort of self-starter, be able to kind of figure out things for themselves because they showed me, like, I kind of didn't take note for an answer. I was kind of like, you know, like, Hey, like, I understand, but like, I really want to like, give me a shot kind of thing, you know, just being passionate about something in a way that doesn't come off as like ingenuine or that you're trying to promote yourself too hard or sell yourself too hard. And I think my old boss, like he made the comparison once of like getting a job in the in games industry is almost kind of like dating a little bit in terms of like, these are all relationships with people. And it's like, if you are too clingy to someone, like, or if you push yourself too hard on someone, like right at the beginning of like when you start dating, it like kind of like sets that person off a little bit. They're like, whoa, this person's coming off like really strong. I mean, I don't think it's 100% comparable, but I think that there is something there about like when you're meeting people or like when you're networking or whatever, it's like, and it's, it's very hard, right? Because we all want these like, you know, these jobs or these gigs or whatever, and we want them to happen now. And I feel like in the digital culture that we live in now, everyone wants like immediate gratification on everything, which sucks because I think a lot of the way that things happen in our industry are like slow burns in terms of like you meet somebody. You don't talk for six months and then a thing maybe happens and then it falls through. And then two years later, another thing happens and then, oh, maybe a thing. And then the thing happens like patience, I guess patience is a virtue too in that aspect. Yeah, it's wild. There's so much I want to dive into what you just said. But one thing that you mentioned is, you know, you interviewed for that job. They said no. And then a little bit later, that internship opportunity came up. That interview was still networking for you because now you knew everybody there. You at least knew the people who might be in charge of that. And thus you could reach out and ask. I see a lot of people thinking, oh, once they say no, I'm dead to them and they never want to speak to me again. It's over. It's over. And then, like you said, a lot of people just stop or quit or think that you know, it's not a human interaction. It's just something super transactional. So what do you say to people who have that sort of mindset kind of coming into this? And I see that a lot, especially with new people just breaking in. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I mean, it is hard, right? It's like, because like, I've applied to like, a lot of the positions too, that I think that we see that get posted a lot, like the Blizzard composers, assistant position and Riot posts stuff now too. Like back in like, right when I graduated, Berkeley, like I was like applying to that stuff too. And, you know, I wouldn't get it and I would feel discouraged, but okay. So I've been in like the games industry now for almost like four years. Right. And like recruiters are like there for you. (laughs) And like people like us from the outside that are not hiring people don't understand is like part of their jobs is to stay connected to people because no, almost nobody stays at the same place their entire life. And especially in our industry, people are literally playing musical chairs, pun intended. So like, it is like part of their job to stay connected to the people that they know might be good candidates. People that are looking for game audio jobs should absolutely leverage as much as they can every single interview that they are in. And don't be annoying or don't pester people like every month or whatever, you know, but like check-ins every now and then. And when I say now and then, I mean, like it could be months it could be six months. It does not have to be all the time, but especially like recruiters. And like what I tell people too is like, even if they don't have postings or whatever, like literally there is nothing stopping anybody right now from going on LinkedIn, searching like Ubisoft recruiter or like recruiter at EA and literally messaging them, just fucking messaging them and being like, hi, I'm blah, blah. I do this would be very interested in any potential openings that happen in the future, whatever. They might not read it. 
They might not never see it, but you know what? That is their job. <laughs> I think that's a different thing, especially that is unique to game audio that is different from film world because like there are a lot less official studios that I feel like we can work for in film than there are in games. Like, you know, you can be a sound designer basically any game studio or like now we're seeing more music positions open up at a lot of game studios. Whereas I feel like it might be like a different situation trying to figure out like, I want to work in film. Like, Oh, what do I go talk to Netflix? Because like most of those companies are like, you know, in the same boat is like they're hiring out a composer. So then you just got to go talk to the composer. And then now you're back to square one of seeing like some thirsty like kid that's trying to like get the attention of like some composer or whatever. But like when you're, it's like a company and you've got like an official channel, like they've got the recruiters, like it's their job to like find talent and stay connected with people. So I know it's like, it sucks, like seeing no's and, you know, not getting what you want, but I wouldn't be discouraged by it because like, it just makes for me, like at least me personally, and I hope it can feel like for others is like, it just means that you become more hardened to this whole process and maybe become I don't want to say like insensitive to it, but like in a way it's like maybe isn't totally like a bad thing to like get a few rejections and just build up a bit of tolerance to this kind of thing. Because like working in any kind of high level creative field like this, nothing ever always goes perfectly. So like kind of adopting a little bit of that mentality of like, oh, I'm not going to let this thing like let me down or get me down. Because even if you do get that job, it's not going to be like everything that you do is perfect or like everything that everybody tells you to do, you're going to want to do. Nothing really changes like in terms of people being people and the interactions between people. So I feel like it's good to get a little bit of thick skin, especially for working in an industry that involves like a company or a corporation. Just, I feel like having a little bit of padding there is good because, you know, it can be tough. So stay connected with people. Absolutely. Any, any opportunity that you get to talk to somebody is exactly that. It's an opportunity. Totally, totally. Yeah. And there's something really prescient you mentioned of like, oh, you can go for what you want and sometimes you can't get it. And when you went on that kind of tour with Berkeley, you said you went to, you know, Sony and you walked around and saw like, oh, this is what I want. What was that concrete thing? What did you see specifically of like, oh, this is what I want now? I mean, I saw for one thing, I saw a team of music people, which was so lucrative to me because I'm, I'm not the kind of person that can go days in my room without like social interaction or like just like get lost in the work and the sauce of doing work by myself. Like I need like interaction with other people. So the fact that there was a team of music people all together that were like sharing duties and working on like the same things was like super inspiring to me because it didn't feel like people were flying solo or that it was like having to figure out everything on your own. It was like part of a team of people and you always had support of others. And then also, yeah, I mean, just like, I think when I was back in school, one of my teachers, Duncan Watt at Berkeley, I think I told him, I was like, I really want to work on that Death Stranding game that's coming out. And I think he told me, it's kind of like, okay, then go figure out how to work on that game. <laughs> and it was that, I mean, they were like, I was there and like, they were working on like, that game or like games like that. So I was like, this is it. This is the thing. I was like talking about that game and like, here's the thing. Like, it's, like, this is it. And so, yeah, I mean, there was a bit of that kind of prestige of like, these are really big games. And you know, with like a lot, like, like a large game like that, you have a lot of resources and there's just a lot of inspiration from the game to do really cool things. But no, I think for me, like the number one thing was definitely just like the fact that 
it was a big music team and they all seemed to collaborate together and support each other. I got the sense that like if I didn't know something, I wouldn't be like punished for that. Somebody else on the team that knew that thing, I could then learn that thing from them and then also now become more capable because of that. And I mean, that was cool. I don't feel like a lot of places have music teams for games. There's only like a few big ones, right? There's like Sony, there's Blizzard, there's Riot, Bungie. You could like name them all in like one hand or two hands. And then the rest are all like one or two people or whatever. So it's like if one person doesn't know what to do, it's like, what do we do? You know, so I really liked that mentality about being on a bit of a larger team. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. We uh, we differ in that way where I can't, where I'd prefer to be in my room alone for the next 3,000 years and never interact with anyone. Be like, hell yeah, this is... This is awesome. Sweet. This is just me and the good dog. But considering you ended up working on Death Stranding, which is really cool, and all these other projects, Spider-Man, Last of Us 2, and just a ton, a ton, a ton of others, as a music editor, what does that mean? Because I get emails from about 100 people a month who say, like, help me be a music editor. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So please explain. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, I was in the same boat. Yeah, like I explained, like they're kind of, the term is kind of shifting around now because music editor is partially encompassing of what the kind of job that I was doing and continue to do is, but it's not totally encompassing. Like now we're seeing like the, the name like music designer come up more, starting to adopt a little bit more of kind of like what, what you would consider like sound design teams. Like you've got sound designers, you've got technical sound designers. Like for example, Bungie now has music designers, technical music designers. It's, I think Sony's doing a similar thing. So, um, but like at the core, it's still a lot of it is what the music editing role was. And what that really is, is it falls into like three main categories and it, it's kind of similar and structured in terms of like, Almost like a film, like where you got like your pre-production, your production, and your post-production, but all those steps in music editing are part of like, quote, post-production, but they have their own kind of like pillars, which is like, in my experience, the first step of music editor has been a lot of preliminary meetings with design folks or the game developers in understanding the game and blocking out basically the needs of what the game music are going to need to be, or like what the game will need in terms of music and working with you know, in my case, it's been a team of people like music producers, music director, um, other music editors, the audio director to basically figure out what kind of music, how much music are we going to record this music? So that first step is kind of like all the planning stuff. And a lot of the is like creating what we call cue sheets. And it's confusing because they're not cue sheets or anything in terms of like royalties or like anything like you think of cue sheets for films they're they're literally like large documents of figuring out like i can use in the case of like modern warfare it was like we knew that like there were this many levels in the game and had either watched captures of or had played through all the levels and knew that like okay level one was this long level two was this long like okay level one was mostly action or level two was mostly stealth so and it was kind of starting to get an idea like holistically like what was the game and how do we break out the music? So we create these like these sort of lists and planning out like, okay, like level one, we need like this many music cues. We need the music to do like X, Y, Z. We need like 
three minutes of action music. We need like three minutes of tension music. We need three minutes of emotional blah, whatever, because this level has like characters in it and we need some character themes. And none of this is like in terms of what actually the music is. Like that's the composer's job, but we might not even have a composer at this point on the project. Our job is sort of basically like a guidebook or sort of like a pseudo rule book that like whoever's going to be writing the music has some information to go off of. And we sort of are acting as this middle person between developer and the composer to it's the best of our ability, get the best like interactive music score possible. And so, yeah, so that first step is a lot of planning, a lot of like spotting. And then I guess what you, you would call production is like a lot of like, once there's sort of like a plan in place and like we're booking recording sessions, we've started getting cues assigned to like the composer or whatever and we start entering a phase where okay we're getting deliveries back from the composer the music editor's job a lot of the time is helping to you know assess revisions and keep track of all the revisions and everything of all the cues and some of the communication that's going out in terms of relaying like internal feedback to the composer and finally we get to a point of recording music once we've got approved music and it's been part of my job in the past to help sort of facilitate some of recording session stuff like doing take notes doing um some light session prep work like getting you know pro tool sessions to the studio making sure click tracks are right and it's like that's what i mean like music editor is kind of like this like vague term because it's like it's starting to encompass a lot of things like it's like pseudo like music supervisor stuff pseudo like music engineer stuff and then like we haven't even gotten to the like editing yet of like once we have like recorded music and it's like ready to go and even a lot of times before we've recorded, the composers will deliver temp stems and we'll start editing from temp stems and replace assets once things are recorded. But that's kind of like the meat of where a lot of the music editor work comes in is like a lot of these large games. I don't think it's any surprise that you don't write 30 hours of music for a game that's 30 hours long. That's crazy. <laughs> also expensive. They probably could if they wanted to, but like they can't because it's just unrealistic and you know it's crazy expensive so a lot of this stuff is driven by like you know financial perspective as well and so uh on a typical like you know high budget game maybe like two or three hours of music gets recorded i'm just kind of like throwing some numbers out there um but i don't think these are too far off call of duty i think we recorded like two and a half hours of music or something i mean you you start to kind of piece together like you know making big implementation docs and like figuring out like what are the actual assets that are going to go in the game? And so a lot of that is then on the music editor to take those stems from the composer and basically create assets that are going to actually go in the game. A lot of times it's just, you know, splitting up like a queue vertically and basically like section A goes here, section B goes here, section C goes here. But a lot of the times, I mean, especially on these large games that are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, it gets pretty creatively uh, hands-on in terms of the kind of work that a music editor would do for, for a large game. Taking like, you know, full stems and muting stuff and moving stuff around and time stretching stuff and pitching stuff and making whole new assets. Like I think actually if people want to hear a really, really good concise explanation of music editors, well, Junkie XL actually has a video called like, what does a music editor do? And he, he was like spot on to like describing like what my job was that I did, which was like time stretching stuff. He was like, you know, there are different classes of music editor and game music editor kind of fell into the last class of music editors that he was talking about, which are super creative folks that are composers themselves get a lot of enjoyment out of 
not necessarily the initial creation of it, but reworking or re-altering created stuff from like the composer. So it's like they have a limit within to work in, but they have a lot of creative flexibility within that limit. And so, yeah, it's a lot of rearranging of stuff and you really become kind of like a music arranger at that point of creating new assets for the game. And then kind of the last third leg of it is music implementation and testing and all that stuff. So kind of coinciding with like, oh, what are these assets that we're creating for the game? These same people are deciding how it's going to be implemented and doing the actual implementation to work. So that's kind of the like the big selling point is like a team like Sony's or Bungie's. Like we can create like really well done interactive music. And we kind of understand like from conception of the writing of the music, we have sort of a plan in mind for how this is going to get implemented. And, and we take a little bit of that burden off of say, like, for example, in Sony case, like an external composer doesn't have to worry as much about like, do I need to deliver loops or what I'm going to write? Is that going to like work in the game? And we're kind of like, we'll figure all that out. Like, we just want to work with you on creating like, you know, really good music, you know? And so that's part of what music editor's job is, is to just figure out like, how is this music going to work in the game? And being in wise, being in whatever game engine that they're in, whatever tools and doing all the implementation work and then fixing a lot of bugs. <laughs> and basically, you know, we're putting on a lot of different hats here. Now we go from like a music focused job to more like a tech design focused job and really doing a lot of implementation, a lot of testing, a lot of bug fixing and seeing, seeing the game through till the end, making sure we test the game front to back for music and making sure it sounds good and you know, music's a very subjective thing, so it's very hard to relate to other people, like, how music is supposed to be. <laughs> and that's why, it, like, it's super, super important to have, like, a team like we do at Bungie, like, testing, like, Destiny, for example. Like, because it's just very hard to tell somebody if music is right or wrong. You kind of just have to, like, see it, play through it, and does it feel right? That's kind of the last part of the music editor's job. And now you are music lead at Bungie. And what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to be a good lead? What are you leading? What sorts of feedback do you get? How does that work? Yeah. So like technically now, basically my role has moved a little bit from like being kind of on the ground, doing a lot of the kind of like editorial work of creating stuff to what, what does lead mean? What is, I'll tell you what it means. It means being in more meetings. <laughs> <laughs> so Destiny is a really unique, interesting case, and I don't think there's a lot of games or if any out there that are quite like Destiny in terms of the amount of content that Destiny puts out and at the frequency that they put it out and to the quality that they put it out. And so Destiny's split into like several teams to make sure that that can happen, right? And so like when you're working on a live service game, it's not like everybody's working on the same thing at the same time. It's kind of this rolling basis so that it's staggered throughout the year that content comes out. And so for me, I've basically moved in this position that I'm in charge of making sure music happens for all of Destiny's seasons. The way that Destiny's sort of structured is they've got an annual release. Usually, historically, it's been an annual release and like three or four seasons a year. And so my job is basically making sure that, for example, like, where we've been at right now in Destiny, like season 16 when Witch Queen came out in February, even back then, like kind of my job was helping figure out like what music is going to work for season 16. Like, where is it going to go? Being in like meetings with designers and then also the composers to figure out, do we need new music written? Can we use existing music? How are we going to work that music in? And basically just kind of being like, Hey, Adam, like 
you kind of like deal with all of it and then you just like relay back to us what you think the plan should be and then we'll either like agree with you or give feedback or notes on like the budget says we can't like you know write new music this season or something you need to figure out a way to like use existing music or something so it's been like that for like season 16 season 17 was a great example of like we had a new destination come into the game that has never existed before in destiny which was the the leviathan is this like space that's existed before in the game but they brought it back and sort of reworked it in elements of other releases of destiny kind of combining together and so i was like oh this is a great opportunity for us to bring back old nostalgic music that we haven't used in a long time and editorially like basically make these like mashups of music that existed in destiny that has never lived in the same like queue before and make like new music out of like existing destiny music and it was great it like scored the experience really well and saved a lot of uh time and hassle and money and recording from having to like write a bunch of new music because the same time that that's going on like we're working on like all these other things at the same time like live service is very much that rolling sort of you are closing one thing while working like production on one thing while also planning the next thing and so my job has basically been figuring out how all that is going to work making the plan for all of it pitching any new music that we want to have written basically it's like if something doesn't work or something's not happening or something goes wrong it's my fault now (laughs) at least in terms of like all the seasons (laughs) but it's exciting and it's a lot of also kind of information gathering it's a lot of like meeting with like the art director or the creative directors and basically getting a sense for like hey what's the next thing going to be or like hey can we get some more information on you know x activity or like what characters are involved or it's a lot of creating plans and creating just roadmaps for making sure that things get done. Yeah. And what's uh, interesting to me is like you've officially been in the industry for about four years now. We've done a lot of stuff before that, right? You know, like remote control, working with Jason Graves, all these sorts of other things as well on top of that. But I think a lot of people would hear, oh, God, four years, I'm screwed because I've been it for in it for longer there and I'm not doing as well, big air quotes. Therefore, I'm a failure. So a lot of people have that kind of mindset when they hear something where it's just a really short period of time where you're now, you know, music lead at Bungie, a job a lot of people would probably kill for when it comes to working in this field. So what do you tell people about that? For one, I think I'm very fortunate to be in the position that I am because I realize that it's not something that a lot of people think is achievable. I mean, I didn't think it was achievable at my age, right? I thought when I moved out here, yeah, I thought I was going to be some shadow to somebody else probably ghostwriting, probably doing a bunch of stuff. And I didn't think that this was achievable, but honestly, like a lot of it I owe to other people teaching me stuff. And I think one thing that I've tried to be good at all throughout school was surrounding myself with people that I felt like I could learn from and also want to succeed at what they're doing. So I feel like for me, I've gotten just like pretty good at trying to surround myself with people that inspire me and encourage me and I feel like I can learn from and then I try to like absorb that figure out how I can make that work for myself and there are like I'm sure a lot of folks that would love to be doing this kind of thing and I'm sure there are like a lot of people that are just as qualified as me to like be doing this kind of thing I mean (laughs) I feel like I did sacrifice like some things in college that I probably shouldn't have sacrificed in order to like get to where I am but um it's very hard, and I don't think we should always compare ourselves to each other. You know, there are, there are friends of mine, too, that are, like, in the position that I thought I wanted to be in. Or they're, like, lead composers on TV shows or things. 
And I don't know, I think it's just, it's, it's kind of unfair to ourselves to try to compare to like where we all like are at in terms of our age, because like people realize that at different phases in their lives, I feel like where, where they're happy and where they're not. For me, I feel like I got lucky in terms of like, I happened to land somewhere early that I felt was like right or that like made me happy. And I don't know if it's going to be like that in like five years or 10 years, but, um, I feel like it's cool to compare to other people in terms of like, if you're trying to like motivate yourself or something, because like, that's how I always tried to see it was like, oh, like if this person can do it, there's no reason that I can't do it. I know it's like really cliche to say, but like, again, it's like the only thing stopping somebody from doing something is really themselves. I mean, you know, there's certain, I'm sure financial things that are always in play in terms of like, I just like can't do this thing. Like I can't move to this place or I can't dump money into like a bunch of stuff. But like, that's how I've always seen it. I've always tried to not see it as like a competitive environment in terms of like, oh, like these people are like younger than me and they're doing better than me. Or like, like, look at all these things that this person has done that oh, I haven't done anything. Like, well, I, I just find that shit like inspiring. Cause like anybody listening, if I could do this, like you all absolutely can, because I'm a complete like schmuck that like has shoehorned my way into this industry with no experience whatsoever. So like, I would hope that that comes across the way that I f- see other people that are like, or my age that I aspired to be like, or am quote like jealous of, or like wish that I like had what they had or something like, it's just a matter of kind of like persistence and patience. And I think something that for better or worse, I've always had is a bit of an argumentative and persistent attitude that you got to kind of like stick up for yourself and, you know, you got to be like your number one fan, believing that you can achieve a thing because the games industry has a lot, a lot of people that want to help each other and want to provide opportunities for like what Bungie would call early in career opportunities. And I think Bungie is one of the companies that's actually very good at this in terms of trying to target people that are early in their career to help them grow. Because I think we sort of like exist in this games industry that we've seen is like this sort of perpetuating cycle of like industry veterans moving around between places and i think the question is always asked like well how do i get that first job or like how do i break into an industry that seems to just be a bunch of veterans or people that already have experience well how do i get experience if i need experience to get a job you know it's this like cycle and so breaking into that cycle is the hard part right and i think bungie is one of those companies that kind of realizes that's like there are a lot of passionate people out there and it's really, really easy to mold passion into like a direction if we can give them the like technical skills and the know-how of what to do. But I feel like the reverse is like much harder to work with where it's like you have someone that maybe is very like knowledgeable, but they're not passionate at all about like something or, you know, they just don't have the right mindset or the mentality to be like self-sufficient or like problem solve. I feel like that's the other part of this. It's like, this is a complete tangent, but like in high school, I taught martial arts. What that did for me was actually very indirectly affects how I see things now because it's a lot of problem solving and a lot of a mentality that's kind of like, you need to figure out a way to beat this or like win or come out victorious or come out on top. And so a little bit of that like mentality, I feel like I've been able to like retain and, and has helped me in you know where I am now in the industry because I think a lot of thinking in our normal minds might be a little bit more reactionary thinking instead of proactive thinking. And I can speak specifically for like game development. The people that have, I feel like gone the farthest in this industry or like that you see are successful are because they are 
proactive thinkers and not reactive thinkers. And I'm not a psychologist by any means, but like, I'm just kind of throwing out terms here and making this shit up as I go. But like the skill of problem solving, I feel like is that is like one of the highest soft skills. And this proactive mindset is like one of, if not the most important skills that I've seen with game development, music implementation, whatever, learn wise, whatever. That's almost expected. Anybody can go pick up that shit and learn it. And, And you should, but get into situations that make you problem solve. I don't care what it is. Doesn't have to be music related, could be anything. But like the minute you start talking about stuff like that to a recruiter or someone that you're talking to for like a potential job or in an interview or something, the little light bulb goes off because they're like, oh, this person, like all we need to do is basically give them the like how to book on like, you know, how to drag music file into a thing or whatever. And then they will just like start like blossoming in terms of like wanting to problem solve and like, oh, I see that like we have this workflow that isn't as efficient as it could be. I'm going to go like investigate and find a software that makes our workflow better. People want that kind of shit. They want people that have that proactive mindset of being like, oh, I see a problem and I'm going to go find a solution to it. Even if someone hasn't told me that I need to go find a solution. Whereas I feel like maybe the higher inclination of a lot of folks is waiting for somebody to tell us to do something and having a little bit more reactive mindset to be like, Oh, oh, okay. You don't like this thing. Okay. You've told me that now I'm going to react to what you have now told me and go like find a solution to it rather than just straight up being like, you know what? This thing I did was shit. I'm going to go figure out how to like make this better. And then you do it. And then someone realizes like, wow, like that person like was proactive about this and did a thing without somebody having to tell them to do it. If you can start talking like that or put yourself into situations that you're problem solving like that or finding ways to do that kind of thing like that will be a huge plus to anybody that's trying to do any kind of game audio related thing awesome that's a beautiful bit of knowledge to start wrapping up on so one question i had for you but as we uh like finally wrap up is where can people find you plug anything you want where can where can people find adam yeah where am i at yeah i'm on twitter and i'm on there pretty frequently just at adam calibgian uh, on LinkedIn as well, I can send you my email address if anybody wants to send me questions or wants to know more about anything. I'm I'm pretty open to uh, to chat with folks. So, and I'll say like, I mean, and I've done like you know in previous like interviews or talks before, like you know I'll say that, and then I think realistically I'll get like maybe like two people that reach out to me. So if you're listening right now and you want to reach out, you should because a lot of people don't. <laughs> a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. So I know I'm opening the floodgates here, but like, I'm just being honest. Like, if you feel like you have a question that you want answered, like, ask it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time. You had some amazing insights I think people are going to love. Well, thank you, Akash, for letting me crash your uh, your podcast and, and blabber away. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod. Sound, B-I-Z, pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects that'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.
And if you're looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to, this podcast is actually a part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. So if you want to check those out, hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.